<clears throat> well, go to Ephesians chapter 3 first. That's what we've been using for our theme. We've been talking about standards for church workers. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, we'll begin there and then we'll go to Ephesians 5. Verse 21, it says, Unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Of course, the purpose of a church is to bring glory to God. It's our primary purpose. It's not to win the world, but if you are glorifying God, you will be endeavoring to reach the lost with the gospel. We're never going to reach the world, because we know from Scripture... You know, we could run ourselves ragged trying to reach the world. Um, we know from Scripture that the world isn't going to be saved. Because there's, Jesus very clearly said there's going to be few that find it. Not many. And uh, although we ought to try and reach everyone with the gospel of Christ. But, uh, uh, we, and we are to do our part. But we are here primarily, our primary purpose is to glorify God. And that's the purpose of standards. That's how we show or uh, glory, the glory of God to a lost and dying world. Then we go to Ephesians chapter 5. And what I want to talk about tonight, as we bring, think about glorifying the Lord, we need to glorify the Lord in the area of music. One of our uh, standards of conduct for officers and workers is... Uh, that to refrain from attending concerts or listening to music that appeals to the flesh or promotes ungodliness in its musical arrangements or lyrics. And, of course, um, you know, we could talk about contemporary Christian music, country music, rock music, all those kind of things. But tonight I want to just give, talk about some things about music from, and look at Ephesians 5, verse 18. It says, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So he says the spirit-filled life, you know, just like a, a drunk, be not drunk with wine or excess. You know, when a person's got excessive alcohol in their body, it controls them. It takes over. It makes them a different person. I remember talking to a neighbor about another neighbor. We were talking about them, and for some reason or other, and we weren't gossiping. We were just making conversation, and he was saying about, he was saying their boys have a trouble with alcohol, as boys do. Of course, the dad did too. And he said that one boy is very quiet normally. He was a little older. He was older than I was, but but when he's got a, a few drinks under his belt, he said he is as loud and arrogant as you can be. He just totally changes them. You know. And that's, that's, of course, what wine does or drink. But he says we're to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, we're to be controlled or led or to be under the, the domin domination of the Spirit of God. And so the evidence of that is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
and another and of course giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God. So, so we we are to you know the spiritual life is one of speaking in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody. It's one of giving thanks unto God for all things. By the way, music is from God. So as we think about that tonight, uh, you know that that I want to look at that passage, and then I want to look at uh, Colossians chapter three and verse sixteen. So it's a parallel passage here. It says, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord." And I just titled this, Making Melody in the Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. And I pray that you'd help us to see some things, some principles, some guiding things that would help us in the area of music just to glorify you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing, you know, he says we're to teach, we're admonish. We're, that word admonish means to put in mind, to warn. Uh, so, Songs or singing should does have a message. In fact, in fact all music has a message. Uh, but as we think about music tonight, first of all, the first thing I want to mention is that God created music. You, God created music. That's the origin of music. Go to Ezekiel. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures, so you don't have to keep your place in Ephesians. But in Ezekiel chapter 28, Ezekiel chapter 28, We find the origin, you might say, of music. Ezekiel 28, verse 12 and 13. says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. So this lamentation is against the king of Tyrus, or about the king of Tyrus, but it's obvious it goes beyond the king of Tyrus, because the king of Tyrus was not in the Garden of Eden. So he's talking about that the power or energy or the one behind the influence of the king of Tyrus. Of course, that is Satan. Thou hast been in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. Notice this phrase. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Now, when he's talking about tabrets, that's some kind of musical instrument. And pipes, what's pipes remind you of? An organ. Pipe organ. Uh, So, and he says it was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And then verse 14 identifies this person. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. So he's talking, this is a direct reference, of course, talking very directly about Satan, who was originally called Lucifer, son of the morning. And many theologians, I'm not a theologian, but many theologians believe that Satan was the director of music in heaven. And it says that in, in him, the day he was created, he, was, he had the workmanship of tabrets and pipes. So he was created a musical being. 
He had talent. He was gifted by God in some special way to, to, to be a music, to, to, to lead in music. Uh, so, and we see here that God made him so. God made him so. And, and God is the origin of music. You know, the, the psalmist over and over says, Sing unto the Lord. Uh, make a joyful noise, Psalm 100, verse 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise on the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Uh, Psalm 101, verse 1. Psalm 101, verse 1. Uh, get my place here. It says, I will sing of mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I, I sing. Uh, Psalm 98, verse 1. O sing the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. Uh, and and you know, the psalms are full of music. God loves music. In his book, Battle for Christian Music, Tim Fisher said this, quote, Music is God's gift to man for man to use to reflect his person. Not man's gift to God to use in evangelism. Unquote. So it's man's gift, or God's gift to man to reflect the person of God. So, so the origin of music, music comes from God. God uh, ordained or designed music. And, and he gave it the boundaries as well, as we're going to see that. Uh, secondly, I want to notice the effects of music. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. 1 Samuel 16, verse 23 says, of course, this is, to give you a little bit of the, the context here, Saul has disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord has troubled him with an evil spirit. Uh, anytime you go away from the Lord, did it open yourself up to evil spirits? And so Saul is troubled, and so they they say, "Hey, let's let's find somebody that's skillful in playing, and we'll bring him before Saul and let him play, so that he'll be well." And notice verse twenty-three. And so they get David, who's skillful on the harp. In verse 23 it says, And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now, this music that David played, by the way, it doesn't say anything about him singing. It just said he played with his hand. So is music all moral? It's rather obvious. No, it's not. It does affect us. It does have a message. But David played with his hand, and it affected Saul, body, soul, and spirit. Every part of his makeup. Uh, it says he was, uh, Saul was refreshed, he was well, and the evil spirit was part of him. So, so he, he was refreshed uh, physically. Uh, he was made well emotionally, that's his soul, and the evil spirit 
departed from him. So he was made well physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Your music has the power to do that. Martin Luther, of course he was a reformer, Protestant reformer, said this, quote, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in this world. It controls our hearts, minds, and spirits. Unquote. And he wrote a great hymn. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. That's page number 33 in our hymnal. He knew something about music. And he said it controls our hearts, our minds, and our spirits. And, and we can see the effects of this even in the Bible. Look at Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, verse 15. <clears throat> Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Joshua is, is uh, up part way with him. And, um, and the people make this golden calf. Aaron makes the golden calf and the people begin to worship it and sing and dance and make themselves naked and commit fornication and all kinds of things. And and uh, the Lord says, you know, you, you need to get on. These people have corrupted themselves, so on. And it says in verse 15, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain. And the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on their, both their sides. On the one side and on the other were they written. Tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. But noise of them that sing do I hear. It came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mat. Uh, and, and he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and grinded it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee what thou, uh, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And, and Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest people that they are set on mischief. And notice, notice verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Now, you see, this, this music was a noise like of war. It was chaotic. It was like rock. The prominent thing in this was rhythm. Um, and it made them shed their clothing. It made them get rid of their inhibitions to sin. I was listening to Dave Sutton. He's the assistant pastor out in California at Brandenburg's church. And he was preaching up at, uh, through Ephesians up in uh, Midcoast. And he was talking about music a little bit. And he said that in, in, a Bible, in Bible times, if people would have listened to rock, if they would have played rock music, they would have committed fornication. That's what it leads to. And even the rock musicians themselves say that rock is 99% sex. Um, 
what it is. Um, so so here, here we have a noise of war, and you see the fruits of that noise. And again, Daniel chapter 3 is another example where you have uh, Babylonian beboppers. Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3. And, of course, this was when Nebuchadnezzar was trying to unite the nations that he had conquered and and, uh, bring them all together around one uh, religion, you might say. And what does he use to try and produce that end result? He uses music. Verse 4, Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And so they, they, they play this all kinds of music, and everybody falls down and worships except three sticking muds. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, the, the, the point is here, they are using music to promote this false worship. And it's music that is evil and wicked. You know, there are, there, and, and people say music doesn't have uh, a message without itself. It's, it's all moral. The word that they, you know, they say it's all moral. Um, in his book, Tim Fisher said this, you know, there's, there's two sides that take this battle. The CCM side, page 55, says, the CCM side says, music is neutral. Therefore, I, as a Christian, can use any type of music I want, jazz, rock, pump, punk, rap, disco, heavy metal, pop, country, rhythm, and blues, etc., to worship the Lord. It is all appropriate, and no lines can be drawn except those of personal taste. As long as my music mentions God in some way, it is useful for evangelism. Unquote. That's the CCM side. Uh, the other side, which is where we would be, says music is not neutral. And I think we've seen the scriptures, that's evident. Music is not neutral. It has the capability of communicating imbalance and sensuality. It can confuse the spiritual effectiveness of the message. Therefore, I as a Christian must draw a line. Any music that cannot appropriately communicate the message is unfit to use to worship the Lord. My personal taste is subject to scriptural conviction. Evangelism is a result of my right relationship with God. Plato said almost 400 years before the birth of Christ, let me make the songs of a nation and I care not who makes its laws. Aristotle wrote that if a person habitually listens to the kind of music that rouses ignoble, it means dishonorable or base, uh, passions, his whole character will be shaped into an ignoble form. In short, if one listens to the wrong kind of music, he will become the wrong kind of person. But conversely, if he listens to the right kind of music, he will tend to become the right kind of person. Um, you know, there have been many instances, this John Blanchard said this, there have been many interests in his, instances in history of the state or some other authority prohibiting certain kinds of music acting on the principle that this matter was important to the public welfare. 
Music was regulated in the early constitutions of both Athens and Sparta, nor is the issue dead in the 20th century. Dictatorships, both fascist and communist, have attempted to control the musical activity of their people. And Russia still does. They, they, they try to control that. And wisely so. Um, yeah, I was in Ukraine back in 2007. We were out one evening, and there were Ukrainians listened to, to, to um, American rock and roll. And the missionary said, yeah, they listen to it. They don't know the words. They just listen to the music. Now, if the music didn't have a message or didn't say anything, why would you listen to it if you didn't know the words? You're the only, the only crowd that says music is all moral or neutral is a CCM crowd. Even rock and roll people will tell you it's not neutral. It has a message, the music itself. So it does affect us. It does affect the body, the soul, and spirit. Um, and, and I want you to notice a third thing. The audience to whom we are to sing. Who are we to sing to? Well, again, the psalmist over and over again. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise, a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Exodus 15 and verse 1. Uh, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he hath thrown into the sea. Uh, see, we are to sing unto the Lord. Verse 21, And Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And if, if you go into the Psalms, Psalm 95, 96, Psalms 100, 101, and, and really through all the hundreds, you'll find this phrase over and over again. Sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Psalm 40 in verse 3 says that we're, we're to sing a new song unto the Lord. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Uh, uh, and, and so we are our audience is to be, that we are to sing to, is the Lord. We're not to sing to people to please people. We're to sing to please the Lord. That's the idea here. Uh, again, you know, he, he talks about the testimonies of these, these uh, men uh, stating that the effects that music has, and so if we would sing unto the Lord, it would change uh, uh, the guidelines to our music. So, so we de- remember, you know, God designed music. It does affect us, and our audience is to be the Lord. Then we'll notice, secondly, some guidelines to judge music. Now, as we think about the music itself, in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, it says this, speaking to yourselves, verse 19, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, melody, there are three parts to music, melody, harmony, and rhythm. And normal music in normal music or right music, 
that fits scriptural guidelines, and even secular musicians will tell you this, that understand music, will tell you that melody is always prominent, harmony, good harmony is secondary, and rhythm is to be least. Rock music does this. It reverses it. Now, I don't understand music enough to know uh, all the, the ins and outs of this, but, but I do know when a car comes driving by and they're trying to have the world listen to their music and my windows rattle, I know there's something wrong. You know what it is? It's the rhythm. It may be all rhythm. Um. Page 78 and 79 in this book. He says, Though it is clear, I quote, Though it is clear that rhythm is an aspect of music generally, in the music of rebellion it is a prominent element. Rhythm is the most distinguishing feature of rock music and it deserves our special attention. Remember that in good music, the primary beat in a measure is the first beat, while the secondary beat of a group of four beats is on the third. This is not only true of balanced music, but also of our Rhythmic pulse, the ticking of a clock, the waves of the ocean. God's creation shows us regular, recurring accents in rhythm. Great composers have discovered that this is necessary in music as well. So, so normal four-point, four-part four beat, the 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 uh, prominent beat is the first one. One, two, three, four. You know, and I remember in school doing toe touches. And we'd go, oh, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Same thing in music. That was the rhythm of, of music. Uh, and, and, and he says here that that's the waves of the ocean. The ticking of a clock. All creation. It's balanced. And that's why many rock musicians don't live very old. Because it affects their ticker. You listen to that kind of stuff long enough, it, it will cause irregular heartbeat. It'll affect you physically. A lot of them die at 40 years old. I just read... Some time ago, about this, I guess it was his name was Kid Rock or something. He looked like a freak too, but anyway, yeah, he was only in his twenties. They talked about how great of, uh, and so what what you have here is when they when when they in the CCM crowd and they're adding or emphasizing ribbon, they're reversing or making music that's out of balance or out of harmony with nature. Even. And that, isn't that what that's that's Satan's? You know, that's what Satan does. He he opposes everything to God. You know, this light and darkness, truth and lie. Satan destroys. Uh, and and when you and, and what the CCM crowd is trying to do is mix the two kinds of music with Christian's world words and perverted music, and it perverts the whole thing. So music itself needs to be melody, harmony, and rhythm in that order. Secondly, the text or the lyrics of the music. You know, our, our passage in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3 says, 
that were to teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So our, our musical lyrics then need to be doctrinally sound. They are to teach. All music teaches. All music has a message. Many of the CCM crowd are charismatic. Guess what they teach in their music? It's charismatic doctrine. Uh, you know, they justify they justify their music on the grounds that they say they're trying to win the lost. But if they're challenged, they'll turn around and say, "Well, hey, I'm not an evangelist." If they're challenged that their music lacks spiritual content, then they'll say, well, hey, I'm not an evangelist. For example, Michael W. Smith, something that's a little bit dated in this book. This book is a little old, but its principles are still the same. Michael W. Smith admits, I know if I'm too blatant about my Christianity to talk about Jesus, I won't succeed in the mainstream. But hey, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a singer. But then they turn around and say their music, they use their music, and they compromise their music to reach people. Um, so our music needs to be doctrinally sound. Speaking about music and the doctrine, Gordon Sears said this. I got this off of wayoflife.org. Gordon Sears said, when the standard of music is lowered, then the standard of dress is also lowered. When the standard of dress is lowered, then the standard of conduct is also lowered. When the standard of conduct is lowered, then the sense of the value in God's truth is lowered. Now, Victor Sears said, quote, Good fundamental Baptists and others that refuse the teachings of the charismatic crowd concerning tongues, signs, and miracles, and so forth, are now singing their music in our churches and preparing our people for the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is in the new Trojan horse movement to deaden our churches to spiritual truth, unquote. Frank Garlock said, quote, If a church starts using CCM, it will eventually lose all other standards, unquote. David Cloud said, quote, Bible believers are most definitely influenced by the CCM crowd when they build bridges in that direction. We can see this on every hand over the past 20 years. The acceptance of contemporary music has been at the heart and soul of every example in which a formerly Bible-believing separatist church has changed its stance, and those examples now run into the hundreds. There might be an exception, but I don't know of any. We have documented many examples in the collapse of separatism among fundamental Baptists. And he says the reason for this is that contemporary music, worship, uh, worship music, is not just music. Even when its lyrics are biblical and its rock rhythm is toned down, it represents a philosophy of Christianity that is opposed to what biblicist churches stand for, opposed to a staunch, unwavering doctrinal stance, opposed to strict separation from the world, opposed to ecclesiastical separation. I have never heard of an independent Baptist church becoming Lutheran through singing Luther's A Mighty Fortress is Our God, or Methodist by singing John Wesley's hymn but I know of many that have gone down the path of contemporary philosophy through affiliating, affiliating with contemporary worship music. And this is, the, this is the thing that contemporary Christian musicians will say, well, Martin, you sing Martin Luther's songs, and he was a Lutheran. He was a reformer. 
His doctrine wasn't right, but his song is biblical. It has biblical doctrine in it. And the music is balanced. You know, and he goes on and says, Quote, the, the writers of the old Protestant hymns did not represent a movement that was brashly opposed old-fashioned biblicist separatist Christianity, whereas the contemporary worship crowd most definitely does. The old Protestants did not represent the end-time one-world church in fellowship with Rome, but contemporary worship music most definitely does. Dan Lucarni, Carney, I'm not sure how you say that last name, author of Why I Left, the Contemporary Christian Music Movement, Confessions of a Former Worship Leader. This man was a former worship leader. He, was, he would go into churches and instruct them how to change their church from traditional music to contemporary music. That's what he used to do. And then he realized, you know what? His eyes got open. He said, this ain't right. And he wrote a book exposing it. And he said this, quote, No one should deny the power of music to proselytize. Pastors in particular must defend their flocks from false teaching, heresies, and ear ticklers who bring worldly sensuality into the congregation. You are right to point out how easily this comes into church through worship music. It seems wiser to decline the use of what seems to be a perfectly good song rather than to give any honor and hint of endorsement to the composer and his or her mission, unquote. And that brings me to the third thing, third uh, issue or guideline to music, and that is the, the writers or the performers, or as they call themselves, ministers. That's what they call themselves. They call themselves, they like to call themselves as ministers of music. And, and we are, and that's what music does. Here in Colossians 3.16 again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your heart to the Lord. So music does minister to us. And Christian ministers come under scriptural guidelines. We would never have a charismatic come in and preach for us. Which, you know, a lot of Baptist churches are using music written by charismatics. It's becoming very popular among some leading, some leading uh, West Coast Baptist college, Crown, lots of other places. It's becoming very prominent. No, they must come under scriptural guidelines. Um, Tim Schaefer, again, makes an interesting statement. He says, quote, in his book, page 122, no responsible pastor would allow someone about whom he knew nothing to come into his church to minister to his people. The conscientious pastor verifies that ministers are qualified to be in the pulpit because he is concerned about God's standard and his people's spiritual welfare. Yet in music, we often accept the word of anyone who claims to be a minister of God. There are many CCM performers who do not believe the Bible, yet we allow them to sing in the homes of our people on a daily basis without warning. If you would not allow a charismatic preacher in your pulpit, why let one sing to your people? not trying to pray all charismatics is unsaved, but we certainly do not want them as our teachers. Keep doctrine pure. We must separate from those who teach false doctrine never give them an audience in our churches. Most CCM performers do not meet qualifications to be ministers in the body of Christ. Simple pragmatism is used to justify their act. 
and, and so, you know, they have to be, they need to be, come under the criteria of ministers. Those that minister the word. And 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, It's required of stewards that a man be found faithful. Faithful. So we have to be careful where we get our music. Who wrote it? What's the message behind it? Where is it? Where is the origin of it? And so forth. You know, our music, and so we we have to be careful and we have to judge. That's why we have Andrew Examine every piece of music that's done here. That's a protection. It protects us. And of course, you know, I listen to it. Now, he knows a lot more about music. My kids all know more about music than I do. But, you know, I can pick up. There's things, I've, I've been around music long enough that when something is sung, and sometimes just the way it's sung, I think, Pastor Webb and I were at a conference. And, well, this is conference in Missouri. And the preaching's good there, but the music, we fear, is starting to maybe change. The pastor's son leads the music. And, you know, he'll, he'll do this for a while, and then he just kind of stands there and kind of like this and sings. Pastor Webb said to me, or did I say to him, what's your impression of the way he leads singing? I said, to me it gives you the impression of a worship leader. He said, exactly. And some of the songs they sang, well, you know, we weren't too thrilled about. But, but, uh, you know, that's, they're an independent Baptist church. They can do what they want. doesn't mean we'll always go there. You know, there may, it may come a time we'll quit going to this conference. That's the beauty of being an independent Baptist. You know, we, we are to hold to a scriptural standard. We have to examine, we are to examine everything that is taught. Um, whether it be through preaching or whether it be through music in our church, that it pleases the Lord, that it passes the scriptural guidelines uh, presented to us in the Word of God, as, if, as again, as we find in Ephesians chapter 5. We're to speak in the psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, does the music, is the music balanced? Is melody prominent, harmony second, and rhythm least? Is it doctrinally sound? You know, there's, there's, even, there's even songs or hymns in our hymn book we do not sing. Gaither's music we don't use. There's some Gaither stuff in there. And some of that really isn't sound. Uh, and there's some, there's some other songs in there. Some of them have to do with uh, the kingdom and so on, uh, different things that, that we just don't sing because they're not doctrinally sound. 
And, of course, then we need to examine. You know, I'm not opposed to, and I don't think, you know, there are some, some churches, well, we just don't sing anything that's new. We just stick to the hymn book. That isn't going to safeguard you. I'm sorry. Because hymn books, not everything in hymn books is safe either. You know, and people, you know, when we talk about music that is contemporary, in other words, being written today, that doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, when we, when, we, when we use the phrase contemporary Christian music, you're talking about people who are writing songs and compromising the music. And, of course, the doctrine taught. But, but we, we are not afraid to use music that is being written today just as long as it meets the scriptural guidelines. We're not opposed to new, th- new music. But it must have the new song. That pleases the Lord. Go to go to Psalm forty, and I'll conclude with this. Psalm forty. Psalm forty says, Psalm forty, verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And He hath put a new song. Notice the words, new song, in my mouth. Even praise on our God, many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Now, that verse reminds me of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, including our song. Hey, when I got right with the Lord, you know what I gave up or got rid of or quit listening to? My country western I like so well. Because, you know, somebody said, country western, if you backmask it, I don't know if you could ever backmask anything, but, you know, they talked about backmasking, I guess, eight-track tapes, and some of you have no clue what eight-track tape were. But anyway, if you backtrack back mast, country western, you'd get your wife back, your dog back, your truck back, you know. Because it's all about wine, women, and song. A lot of it. Some of it, some of it is, is just about nature, and some of it is beautiful music. It's not fit for church, but there really isn't anything wrong with it. It's sort of like classical music. But that wasn't what I just listened to. It was the whole gamut of junk. I didn't like the beady stuff. never did like that kind of music, but but, you know, for some people, they, to, they give up the rock music. Because rock and roll really means fornication. It's the acts of fornication. And there's no such thing as Christian fornication. No, he says, he hath put a new song. In other words, it's different. It's different from the song I used to sing before I got saved. It's a new song. Even praise under God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. You know, again, music will, will show itself in the way that people live. It will affect you. As Aristotle, Plato, and look at our culture. How do we live? You know what brought the biggest change in all that? was the rock and roll, the Beatles, 
It totally, it revolutionized. Well, it's, it is, that's what it is. It's revolution. And it totally revolutionized our culture and corrupted it morally. So we are, to, we are, we are, you know, one of the, again, we're not to attend concerts or listen to music that appeals to the flesh or promotes ungodliness in its musical arrangements or, or lyrics. Uh, we're not to love the world. These are things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this CCM, rock and roll, and all that is of the world. I remember I had an evangelist one time years ago, and he was pastoring in Massachusetts. And he was having a missionary from Africa, and the guy was African, native African. And he went, picked him up at the airport, and then he went to the Christian bookstore. And he said CCM was playing in the Christian bookstore. And he said, they were in there looking at books, and this man had gone somewhere else. And, and he said, I bet he came running over. And he said, Pastor, Pastor, do you hear that? And he said, what? He said, I, you know, I ignore the stuff. He said, what? He said, you hear that music? That's the drum beats they use in Africa for spirit worship. And it was CCM. See, music does have a message, even without words. So might God help us to choose and listen to the right kind of music. It does affect us. And if we listen to that which glorifies the Lord, it will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word tonight. Thank you for the instruction that you give us in your word. And I pray you just help us just to be faithful in this area of our lives, which has such great effect upon us. So we'll help our young people, help them discern and use wisdom in the things that they listen to. We do pray in Jesus' name.